With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Double Stint Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine, John DeGeese in Chicago on the other end of the line. And, John, it was another busy weekend of e racing, as we've come to expect. And, the, this uh, time of quarantining, and we'll talk about that in a moment, and also some news trickling out from various sports car racing sanctioning bodies. We've got a listener question to get to as well at the tail end of the show. Let's start, though, with the e-racing offerings. The SRO was awfully busy over the weekend with the first race of the SRO Europe side of things, uh, their their new e-racing platform. And, of course, we had GT Rivals back in action this weekend, which is SRO America's e-racing platform using a set of course at Competizione. We'll start with Europe though, racing at Silverstone and it was Bentley domination. Jordan Pepper picked up the win in what was a really star-studded field. Pretty amazing The some of the names that the SRO Europe folks were able to get involved in their production. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. We had Jensen Button as one of the initial signups. He's a, a co-owner in, in one of the, the GT World Challenge Europe teams, Jensen Team Rocket Team RJN in, in the McLaren, but we also had Charles Leclerc, um, a Ferrari F1 star, as a late addition to the field that was only announced on Sunday morning. Um, quite impressive to see SRO get some of these star drivers. Um, we've been seeing a lot of big name drivers and newly retired drivers or whatnot take part in sim racing and other platforms and other series over the last couple of weeks, but um, to see these two sort of battle it out with the what is the majority of the GT World Challenge Europe field was was pretty interesting. And to see them take a slightly different approach than the U.S. championship by incorporating sim racers, but doing it in a separate race rather than mixed in with the pro racing field, I thought that was an interesting take. And, and what it gave us was a full morning, at least in the U.S., and, and afternoon, I suppose, in Europe, of, of racing one race after the other. And, and I thought they put on a pretty good show at the virtual Silverstone. Yeah, I, I think that's an important point, Ryan. I really enjoy the separation of the two because, quite frankly, the sim racers should have a, a bit of an advantage over uh, the majority of the real-world racers just because a lot of the real-world racers don't spend 10, 12 hours a day on their sims practicing. And um, a lot of real-life drivers are just getting into this right now. They're just getting rigs. Um, some of them have been always practiced on rigs before, but they would go to a, a, a special play, a special studio to do it, or they would be doing single driver testing sessions. And and when you're in a real world, when you're in a racing environment in in the sim world, it's a lot different than just turning laps and practicing and learning a track. So um, we've noticed the, the 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 real world drivers get quicker as as the weeks have progressed. I think the GT Rivals um, event in uh, virtual Paul Ricard was witness to that, um, but but still, I, I really like the way um, SRO Europe has a sort of a, approached that with their um, official esports uh, series that kicked off this past weekend. And one other interesting tidbit that came from that, watching the broadcast, and it was fun seeing the the normal commentary duo of uh, David Addison and John Watson, joined by Ben Constanduras over the weekend. And they've all worked together plenty before. But it was interesting to learn from them that uh, the Bentley team actually were were using some of its engineers, its real-world Bentley engineers, to try and help its Bentley drivers 
on the sim. And we've seen some of that in, in other forms of racing, uh, e-racing as well. I know specifically on the IndyCar side, a lot of the IndyCar teams are using their engineers and strategists to talk to their drivers in the IndyCar iRacing series. But to see that now happening on a set of course of competizione is really interesting. And I suspect we're going to see some other manufacturers following suit, John, because Bentley was really strong, Jordan Pepper in particular. But uh, I think maybe that, that sets the new standard and everyone else has to, to rise to the challenge. Yeah, just a few weeks ago, we were talking about BMW and how serious their sim racing efforts were. Unfortunately, they don't seem to be really taking part in the uh, Assetto Corsa Competizione. They're more focused on the iRacing side of things, which is understandable because their cars are, are modeled in there. Um, and, and, and I guess they are in Assetto Corsa as well, but to some extent, maybe focusing on one sim platform might make more sense. But um, it is great to see other manufacturers step up. We've seen other teams have similar strategies like this too. Um, we just had a column from Riley Dickinson, um, an up-and-coming driver in the IMSA GT3 Cup Challenge USA field. He revealed in the IMSA iRacing Pro Series event that he took part in uh, a couple weeks ago that he actually used his team owner, David Moore, as, as like an engineer and, and, and strategist and, and whatnot and went through the whole weekend like they normally would in a, in a real-life Porsche GT3 cup car. So that was kind of cool to hear as well that not even, you know, even though the big factory teams are doing this, even the small privateer outfits that are taking part in, you know, uh, taking part in these, these sim races are, are taking it as seriously as well. So um, we've really seen the rise of, of sim racing and it's been really cool to see in the, in the last couple months. And on the U.S. side of things, once again, it was Brian Heidkotter, who I think most of us identified as a heavy favorite before the GT Rivals season started. He picked up his second win of the season. So now two wins and a fifth place result for Brian after a dominating performance at Paul Ricard. He took the pole by something like four-tenths of a second over Kenton Cook. And Kenton got the jump on him on the start, but Brian was able to get by just a couple of laps later and really was unchallenged from there. It looked like Kenton finally had put together a good run to the podium and had some yeah. issues with fuel consumption late in the race and also uh, uh, kind of had a penalty for cutting the course, which might have been because he had uh, fuel issues and was just trying to get it to the line. But uh, nevertheless, you have to feel for him. I did a story with him for Sports Car 365 last week, and he was talking about how much fun he's been having with this, how beneficial it's been. But he hasn't had any luck, and he was about one corner away from the great result, and it all got away from him. Yeah, really unfortunate situation for Kenton. I think a lot of people were, were pulling for him after the unlucky string of results he's had. And yeah, if the race just ended one lap earlier, you never know what might have happened, and he probably would have been virtually standing on the, the second step of the podium there. Yeah, exactly right. So anyway, it was a, a busy weekend of action. You can check out some of the, the race replays and things of that nature at sportscar365.com. And I hope you enjoyed the coverage over the weekend. Let's get to some news, though, from the real racing world now, John. And uh, we've been speculating about what the WEC was ready to do regarding its schedule as so many countries in Europe are taking action and extending bans on mass gatherings it's really putting the championship in a tough spot just to try and fit the races in into the calendar year or what's left of it and I think the decision to run behind closed doors if necessary and that is the line coming out of the WEC right now I think that's been almost forced upon them I'm not sure there's a whole lot of alternatives it seems pragmatic 
not ideal, but you have to say that uh, from the WEC's perspective, there's not much else that can be done if they're going to try and get this full championship season in. Yeah, I think this is going to be the theme in the next couple of weeks when it comes to strategies and having championships talk about restarting whenever that may be, if it's June, July, August. I think almost all of these events will have to be behind closed doors. Just looking at the way the sports world is starting to evolve, public gatherings in general, um, Every country seems to be doing things in a little different way as we're reintegrating, where people are slowly maybe coming out of a lot of these forced quarantines. Um, You know, some countries have been more strict than others. And I think the common theme across everywhere is that racing will have to be behind closed doors for a while, at least through the summer months. And um, Gerard Naveau basically confirmed that for the WEC's behalf, uh, ELMS as well that they're prepared to do that if that's what needs to happen. And um, looking at it right now, I I think that's a pretty good chance of that being required if we do want to go back racing this summer at some point. So um, especially at Spa, because um, there had been a a banning of mass gatherings through the end of August at least, that's what prompted the, 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 the postponement of the total 24 hours of spa we still don't have a a reconfirmed date for that race Um, sro is juggling around its schedules to figure out what to do and we believe that might be towards the end of october because we had news this week at the fia motorsports games has been postponed until 2021 Um, that was supposed to happen at the end of october at paul ricard Um, that's been basically postponed to to loosen up the schedule for GT teams during that time period. So there's not too much racing or non-essential racing in that matter, because, um, that event was more or less an, an extra race. You know, it was kind of a cool thing with a a world cup status for pro-am drivers. And it was growing quite a bit too, from last year's event where it featured a lot of different, um, disciplines of racing, but, a smart call there by the FIA to delay that. That also opens up some ex- an extra weekend for GT3 racing to potentially occur, like I said, for Spa potentially. So um, going back to the Nouveau WEC thing, I think it makes sense. We just sort of have to wait and see the details on what will happen if these races go behind closed doors. Will WEC force the a restriction on the number of crew members at the track. Um, will there be PR and media allowed at the track? Um, I just saw some reports on F- F1's potential return to clo- behind closed door racing that might not include media members, for instance. So there's still a lot of questions up in the air um, from the WEC side of things. I know IMSA's working on similar plans right now. We might have some more news uh, later this week on, on our potential revised schedule again for the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So everything seems to be in flux at, at this moment. And uh, I think this is kind of the new normal for us, sort of adjusting as we go along, because we still don't know exactly when we're going back racing, but we still have to also plan ahead. That's right. And and the back end of this calendar is going to be very congested very soon. And, and to your point about the motorsports games, that's why that is so important that that event gets postponed, is that does potentially free up a weekend for a major event. Um, but speaking of calendar changes, and, and we discussed on previous shows the WEC's decision to shift around its calendar to go back to a calendar year schedule once again, and there's some byproducts of that. And one of the positives that comes out of that, according to Girard, is 
the potential impact it has on giving those manufacturers and and constructors interested in the hypercar concept just that little bit more time to be prepared to roll out and and that could be one of the silver linings of this situation yeah and and i think we should be clear that this doesn't allow a new hypercar manufacturer to jump into the frame i don't think that's a possibility at least for the start of 2021 Um, but what this does enable is you know it allows toyota to be fully committed and ready. You know, with this lockdown, we had a story on Sports Car 365 when our Dan Lloyd talked to Rob Loipen um, from Toyota, from TM, TMG, which actually has now been renamed Toyota Gazoo Racing Europe. Um, that was one of the news items over the past week that that um, came out as well, that um, Toyota's German headquarters um, in Cologne, uh, Toyota Motorsports German headquarters in Cologne, has been rebranded as part of the Gazoo banner uh, globally now. Uh, anyway, um, Loipen indicated that, you know, there there's no way they can be ready to be on the grid in September if that was the start the hypercar era. So um, by rearranging the schedule, by getting off of the winter calendar and presumably starting at Sebring 2021 in March, um, that will allow Toyota to be ready. It also will allow um, Glickenhaus to be ready. Um, We knew that that program wasn't going to be ready for the start of the season in September if it had gone forward. Um, James Glickenhaus had told us previously that they were targeting a Kyalami debut in February of 21. Um, now it, it seems like they're in the possibility of running a full season program with their SCG um, 007. Um, should everything go to plan, um, our Dan Lloyd spoke to to James um, over the past week, and he said that there's been a lot of progress being made virtually, and there's still a lot of things to be done right now um, before actually building the car. He he explained that the build the build process is a two month process, and there still needs to be a lot done on the computers and that's something that they're still doing right now so um, it's great to hear that program still on track and and really not as much affected by this shutdown right now as others and on the subject of Glickenhaus we did also get some information about the direction they're going on the engine front after their initial plan was effectively scuppered going back quite a ways yeah this is an interesting one because um Initially, they were planning to do a, a V6 Alfa Romeo engine that was shelved at one point when the regulations called for the the, the Lama hypercar regulations called for an increase in power um, due to the arrival of the Aston Martin hypercar, which now has become a non-starter. Um, in the meantime, that sort of shelved those plans for the Alfa-based V6. Glickenhaus has now gone with a twin-turbo V8 from this company, Pipo Motors. It's a French company that builds rally engines. And the unique thing about this is that basically Pipo is going to be building two rally engines together into a V8. So there are four-cylinder turbos right now that you that they build for um, uh, a bunch of manufacturers um, in, in rally cars, including Hyundai, um, Ford, Peugeot in, in recent years. And this... This engine will basically be two rally car engines on the same block, which sounds really cool. A great concept. Um, let's see how reliable it is. Of course, when you sort of modify things, you know, it could always lead to some questions. But um, just the concept of having, you know, something developed for 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 rally racing is is kind of cool to see this come together for for Glickenhaus. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. An exciting project. 
as ever from uh, from the Glickenhaus folks, and, and curious to see how this progresses. And like you said, positive news that they're able to continue to progress with this even during this lockdown. Um, speaking of Lamar projects, though, this one was interesting. It kind of came out of left field. We've got a group out of France that is working towards a 2023 entry at Le Mans. That's a ways down the road, but using some really interesting technology for a potential Garage 56 entry. Yes, so this is a French startup company called Vision Automobiles Paris um, that revealed that they have intentions to create a car um, that would be powered by biomethane um, with the target of competing at Le Mans in 2023. The race car has been dubbed um, 1789, and they're targeting um, such that. Um, its details aren't really fully revealed yet, but it will be an internal combustion engine, uh, a twin-turbo V6 or V8. The idea is to couple it with electric motors, so it would be a hybrid, and the idea would be it'd have an output of about 1,000 horsepower. They're claiming it'll be similar to a hypercar. Um it, it, it sounds interesting. I Let's wait and see. We've seen a lot of different projects sort of be announced in recent years. The only good thing this program has going for it is that there's a lot of people involved from the Welter Racing Operation, WR, um, which had been doing similar projects to this in, in recent years. Ultimately, they had funding issues that sort of served as the roadblock. Um, perhaps this group has the funding to make it happen, although they are seeking some funding still. Um, in, in this program. Um, apparently, Paul-Loup Chatan and Ma- Matthew Vaxiaverev have been named as two of the chief development drivers for this project. Um, so let's wait and see. It's uh, an interesting time to announce something like this, but um, you never know. And, and 2023 is still quite some time away. That's the other thing they have going for them. That's right, is, is time. And it's an ambitious project for sure, but at least from the timing perspective, it seems a bit more on the realistic side than some of these Garage 56 entry announcements that we've seen in previous years that have not come to fruition. So we wish them the best. It would be cool to see that at Le Mans. That's certainly what that Garage 56 entry is is really designed around, having something like this there. And uh, it's been a shame we haven't had as many of those in recent years. So hopefully this all does come together by 2023. Uh, let's close this out here before we get to uh, just a couple more things, I guess. We, we we had a really cool video that got posted from the folks at HPD and Acura, a ride swap between uh, Trent Hinman and Ricky Taylor, each getting a chance to sample the other's Acura race car, the DPI for Trent and, and the NSX GT3 for Ricky. And the video itself was awesome. It was really cool. A chance to, to kind of go behind the scenes on the ride swap, get to see their personalities a little bit. And as far as these ride swap things go, I think this is about as well done as any I've ever seen. This was really, really neat. Yeah, it was something in the works for quite some time. And I think it actually came out of the idea from both drivers just wanting to see what each other's car was going to be like. And then once the, the PR folks at, at Acura sort of got hold of the news, they they wanted to run with it, and and, and rightfully so. Um, this was done before the, the lockdown. This was done in February at Sebring International Raceway. Um, during, I think, there was a private testing there over the course of a couple weeks. And um, Ricky um, got behind the wheel of the Meyer Shank Racing um, Acura NSX GT3 Evo. And I think 
more importantly, not importantly, but just more significantly, um, Trent got his first laps in a prototype, and and this was obviously Team Penske's championship-winning ARX05. Um, check out SportsCar365 for the video. I also had the chance to speak to both of them um, recently to talk about that experience, and um, Trent was really blown away by the power and, and handling and the ability of the DPI, and um, there weren't any lap times released, but Based on what I've heard and what Ricky said, um, Trent got up to speed fairly quickly. And um, I, I think that says a lot for his ability as a race car driver, especially being away from high downforce cars for quite some time. I think it was eight years since he was at, in, in, in an open wheel car um, during his junior uh, open wheel rank career before moving to GT racing. So um, would love to see maybe uh, Trent get a, maybe a, a proper test with Acura uh, Team Penske in the future and, and maybe Ricky get an outing in a NSX GT3, maybe in GT World Challenge or Intercontinental. Um, you know, Ricky admitted that he was quite jealous of, of Dane, of co-driver, of teammate Dane Cameron, um, getting some outings, um, with the factory Honda team and in, in Intercontinental. Obviously Dane also, um, uh, did a, a majority of the season in GT World Challenge America last year with Real Time and Mike Headland. So um, it's great to see Acura and HPD utilizing their drivers for multiple things. And I think there probably is a chance Rick, Ricky could probably get some outings in a, in the GT3 and and hopefully maybe Dane could be taken more seriously as a prospect for the future and on the DPI front. You never know. Yeah, it'd be great to see. And, and I've been saying for a long time that one of these days, Trent's not going to be this best-kept secret uh, as 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 a talent behind the wheel. And slowly, I think people are starting to realize just how good he is. And uh, this is just another sign of, of the high regard he's held in. Really cool for him and, and for Ricky as well. Uh, I hope we do get to see some more crossover like that moving forward. Uh, let's close, as far as the news goes, with a little bit of sad news, unfortunately. A long time member of the motorsports community in Formula One, certainly, but also in sports car racing. Ricardo Davila passed away after a brief illness. Uh, really sad news for a very well-regarded uh, engineer, um, both, again, in open-wheel racing and sports car racing, hailing from Brazil. Yeah, uh, Ricardo's been a mainstay in, in motorsports for, uh, I think, the last part of 60 years. Um we all sort of knew him from the sports car racing circles in in you know recent years, largely with the Nissan efforts, um, with the with the Delta Wing, the 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 Nissan GTR LM Nismo LMP1 program, but I think more importantly, helping foster a lot of these Nissan GT Academy drivers who were coming from the virtual world to the real racing world. And he served as engineer at RJN Motorsport through a lot of those. Um, graduates programs and um, just looking at the the tributes pouring out on social media from the likes of Jan Mar Martin Burrow, um, Lucas Ordinez and, and others, it, it's clear how much of an impact Ricardo made on their careers. And um, Ricardo was a, a, a great guy that always had cool ideas, you know, um, behind him. And, and it's a huge loss to the, the motorsport world, especially as he had still been active in sports car racing, even even to these days, um, he was working with RJN. He he was still, um, you know, still chipping away. I, I don't think a retirement was ever in his plans. So, um, really sad news to come come through. And and our, our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family right now. Absolutely. So, let's uh, wrap up the show here. We do have a listener question. It comes from Taylor, 
who has, uh, has some thoughts about scheduling, as so many do in these times. He says, since two IMSA rounds, Belle Isle and Long Beach, have been canceled, could the possibility of replacement races held at tracks such as the Charlotte Roval Course or other NASCAR-sanctioned tracks that have Roval configurations, or could we see Portland added? He also says he's seen an Acura commercial with the DPI at Charlotte, and it has been almost, if not 20 years, since IMSA or the ALMS has returned to Charlotte Motor Speedway, and he closes by saying thanks for keeping everyone up to date on the world of sports car racing. Please stay safe. That's a great idea. Um, I, I didn't, haven't thought about the, the, the Charlotte Roval, but ever since that's been upgraded um, to have the NASCAR race there, um, why not? Um, I know there's been a lot of different possibilities floated around. You know, Indianapolis was one of those options at one point. Um, it's no longer a possibility um, due to a bunch of circumstances, um, that, at least on the weekend of the, the Intercontinental uh uh, Indianapolis eight hour weekend that'll now be shared with IndyCar. But, um, I think IMSA is looking at a bunch of different scenarios. Um, also speaking to John Doonan in recent weeks, he admitted that, um, adding prototypes to the Lime Rock and VIR weekends was an option. That's one way to boost up the number of events for prototypes. Um, GTLM I think is, is short by one event right now because of the Long Beach cancellation and GTD is shortened by a couple week a couple events but maybe have a, a potential doubleheader GT race at one rate one weekend I know that was initially ruled out by IMSA but I think there's other things that could be reconsidered at this point um, all depending on what the schedule will look like whether Watkins Glen will go ahead as planned. CTMP is a question mark because of the Canadian regulations. I know um, the Toronto IndyCar race is on the verge of cancellation, and that's one week after the CTMP uh, IMSA weekend. So there's still a lot in flux. Um, I, I, I like your idea about the Charlotte Roval. Um, Portland might be a little bit more difficult because that's a, a new venue that maybe doesn't have as much pedigree added you know, to, to get up and running for an IMSA event, something like Charlotte, for instance, you know, is kind of almost turnkey because of the NASCAR link there already, um, especially if it's been, if it's able to be added onto the NASCAR weekend. Um, I don't know off the top of my head when that is scheduled to happen, but um, still, nonetheless, I think it's a, a, a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what happens. I think everyone's got to be flexible at this time and any opportunities that present themselves, you need to jump on it. And certainly the, the chance to race on some of these infield road courses uh, at some of the NASCAR ovals in conjunction with the NASCAR weekend, that might be viable and it might be necessary to get some races in. So we'll see what happens. Thank you very much for writing in. If uh, any of you listening have questions for a future show, you can leave them in the comment section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter and we'll get to them in the next show, which will be coming out next week. We look forward to talking to you then. In the meantime, we love a rating and a review and looking forward to speaking to you next time with our next edition of DoubleStint.